I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week we'll be discussing Fatty Akin's revenge drama In the Fade, in which we follow a woman's search for justice after her, her husband and son are killed in a racially motivated explosion in Hamburg. That woman, Katia, is played by German actress Diane Kruger. No relation to Freddie. I'm Sam Howlett. No relation to uh, Liam Howlett, the uh, performer in The Prodigy. Mm-mm. And joining me this week... Regular podcast guest, Stephen Ryder. No relation to Easy. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, sometimes on the podcast, we are joined by contributor Steph Watts. Uh, But this week, making her pod debut, we are joined by Amy Watts. No relation to Steph. Hi. (laughs) Hi, Amy. Hello. Welcome. Uh, Amy works in Curzon Aldgate and is also part of the Dispatch Feminist Moving Image Collective. Uh, yeah, so we put on screenings around London, um, a films made by women, non-binary and trans women. Um, and uh, you can go on the website, there's interviews and essays on films by women. Brilliant. They're great, they're really great actually. Yeah. So we'll be reading out listeners' tweets and emails at the end of the show. So if you do have any thoughts on In The Fades that you want us to read out for the next week's show, then you can email us uh, at podcast at curzon.com <laughs> or you can reach out to us on Twitter, follow at Curzon Cinemas and look out for our reply callouts. Uh, so let's dive straight into this film. Interestingly, it's two weeks in a row now that we're looking at films where they are anchored by grief-stricken female performances and those have very much been the main talking points. So last week we spoke about Hereditary and I think the main thing that people were talking about Hereditary was how great Tony Collette is in that film. And what I've seen so far about In the Fade, because it's been people have been seeing it for a long time now. It premiered at last year's Cannes Film Festival, mm-hmm. and Diane Kruger won uh, the Best Actress award there. And most of the reviews and what everyone's saying is how amazing Diane Kruger is in this film. So let's start with that. How amazing is Diane Kruger in this film? She's great. I think it's her best performance to uh, date. You know what? I haven't been following her career since Troy. Um, so I'm really she is, was she, is she Helen of Troy she is yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's been a long long time since I've seen I, Diane Kruger in a film I think 
this is her first film fully English, uh, German language. It oh, is, really? It is. I read yeah. that this morning. Her first one. But mm. I, she has been able to... She is German. Yeah, she's and, German. And she speaks it so very in a, She's also in Inglourious Bastards as... Um, yeah, Bridget, I, I want to say Bridget von Hammersmark. I think you might be right. She plays... Yeah, yeah she's, she's the one the that actress. plays a really nice yeah. foil to um, yeah. Brad Pitt's character. Yeah, no, yeah. I have. Yeah, I do, yeah, I do remember seeing She's that. also in National Treasure, guys. She has so. <laughs> yeah, she's in National Treasure 1 and 2. I mean, this seems like quite a big diversion then, in, like, really, um, mm. to be playing kind of a character that's in every single scene of a film. Yeah. Um, and to carry a film with such poise and kind of um, a really... Uh, it's a really sharp, sharp-edged performance, I think. It has a lot of, like... She has a lot of emotions that have to cross her face throughout the whole film, but it's like a very layered performance in a lot of ways. Um, but I can see why she's been getting so much praise. It's fantastic. She manages to do the sort of ex- explosive emotions really well, but then also really subtle facial acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. No, it's very true. Um, and it's interesting that you bring up this aspect of grief as well after talking about Hereditary, because yeah. Tony Collette in that film we spoke about last week goes very melodramatic. Um Whereas I think what this film does is instead of heightening the um, kind of the fear and, and, and the horror of grief, it almost at points, it's about the bureaucracy and the mundanity mm. that people have to go through after they have such a huge loss in their life. And yeah. the frustration she has to face with being asked these very mundane questions as she's still struggling with this huge like existential, like angst, angst-ridden issue that she's got. And I think that Kruger plays that excruciatingly well to the point yeah. where you share her frustration on screen yeah and she also has to suppress a lot of her emotion just to like in her quest for justice she has to keep everything together I mean there's one great scene where she sort of lets rip in the courtroom mm. um, but other than that she's quite controlled yeah I mean there's the um, she um, has to find a way to deal with this and one way that she deals with it quite early on in the film is is turning to drugs and the scene where her her family kind of sit down with her and say they want to take the bodies back to Turkey. Mm. Um, she takes a deep breath, goes to another room, yeah. does some cocaine, comes back, and she's got this look on her face where you feel like she's not going to let this go, and you totally invest in her in that mm. moment, I think. And you're like, yeah, like she's... There are so many things going on in her life right now, and she's determined not to let anything get in the way. And I think Kruger's strength in the performance comes from that this this real internal strength that she has. Yeah, I think internal's the key word there because because with I don't want to compare these performances too much, maybe, but um, Tony Collette has a lot to act with in Hereditary and has a lot of things to react against. Mm-hmm. Whereas Diane Kruger is, although she does have the like the instant at the beginning, the explosion, the rest of the film she is yeah is very internal. And there's a lot of people talking around her, but not necessarily always to her, because the bulk of the film, maybe we should break down the film a bit, because the bulk of the film is a courtroom drama. Yep. Uh, which kind of surprised me in a way. Uh, so it, the film is divided into three parts. Literally, it's got three sections: part one, part two, and part three. Mm-hmm. You should give mm-hmm. the title. Part one is the uh, is the explosion, the aftermath, and sort of the exploration of her grief. Part two, which I guess is the bulk of the film, is this court case, the courtroom drama. And then uh, part three, we can't really talk about. No, not in detail. Not in detail. Not in detail. We'll touch on it, but yeah, um, yeah. it takes a turn. Mm-hmm. Let's say that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think that those three parts are all, uh, they, they really 
they go in really nicely together actually okay. and I actually think I don't know about you Amy but my favourite part of the film was probably the courtroom drama which is strange for me because I'm not kind of a courtroom drama kind I of guy I love courtroom drama yeah, so that I really satisfied me I thought me. you might um, but, but I thought it was yeah satisfying really really interesting mm. the process yeah. was super interesting and I think what uh, Aiken does is make sure that we're not at any point bored during that mm. process because mm. um, there are other films that wouldn't bother I feel with a courtroom drama in this hand because it doesn't feel like that's a huge part of her grief no um, but by I think if it's a really clever way to kind of explore her grief in conjunction with um, her quest for justice and that's what the second part's called justice is, it, is that yeah. what it's called? So part one is called, I think part one is The Family, family or yeah. Family. Part two is Justice and then part three is called The Sea. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. Actually, that's a good way of putting it that where some films wouldn't necessarily link justice and grief. Mm. Mm. And, and I suppose that's what part of one of the, theme, the themes and questions the film is asking. Are they linked? And to what extent are they linked? And to what extent is the quest for justice linked with the healing process. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then she sh- it's the fact that they hinge so much of this on her as well. The the courtroom drama, the courtroom uh, aspect of the film for me is so it's the most interesting aesthetically shot portion of the film. Okay. We have these moments where you are forced to watch um Kruger in the foreground and a oh, yeah. lawyer in the, the background. Deep focus. The deep focus, yeah. the split kind of... Di- is it split diopter? It, that's, yep, I had yeah. it written down right here. <laughs> yeah, split diopter <laughs> shots, which are like kind of stunning in that moment. They are. Um, and uh, yeah, really impressive how they make a courtroom uh, that's kind of a bland courtroom as well. Um, yeah, it's quite clinical. Yeah, very clinical. Yeah. And, and, and I was surprised by how close the uh, prosecution and the defence are sat mm. together as well. Yeah. It creates this really interesting tension. Um, but the way he shoots it, it keeps it so, so interesting. And it looks great yeah. on a big screen, too. It looks really, really good on a big I screen. I think courtroom dramas as well have sometimes a tendency to look a bit like filmed plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because a lot of plays are courtroom dramas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this makes it very cinematic. Yeah. Particularly yeah. with the you know, the sort of deep focus, which at first threw me off because it's very uh, kind of De Palmer-y move. Yeah, it is. Uh, which is a little bit like, I feel like De Palma does it because he wants to be like Hitchcock mm-hmm. and Hitchcock does it kind of because he's showing off because yeah. no one else was doing it yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. And so at first it was like, oh, we're doing this, are we? Yeah. Because the film up to that point is very is very sort of uh, formal in its um, technique. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But it, it does really work because usually in courtroom dramas when there's like witnesses giving their testimony, they are stood at the front mm-hmm. facing the uh, the audience yes. and the jury and everyone and here they're just facing the judges and their backs are to everyone else. Yeah, they have to have a weird thing where they turn. They have to where turn. They turn yeah. And, yeah, and look, it's yeah, and it makes it really awkward. It did make it awkward, yeah. but it, it did make it feel quite vibrant in a yeah. way because real, your eye yeah. has to do a lot more work than it normally would in a courtroom drama. But but this is the point in the film as well where I started to question whether I liked. Diane Kruger's character, whether I liked her as a person, why? Which is well, <laughs> the thing is, I feel like she she has this she has this awful awful thing happen to her. Let's mm. should we give okay. more context to the awful thing? Yes, I think yeah. I brushed, we may have brushed over it a bit. So her husband, played by Newman Akar, who Fraser's working at what I know him from, and he is the baddie in season four of Homeland. Right. There we go. Um, <laughs> so he is a uh, uh, Kurdish German. And 
he, he you see at the beginning that he was in prison when they got married so he has a past uh, and this is a few years later they have a son together and one day a bomb goes a nail bomb so it's kind of a very a homemade bomb mm-hmm. goes off killing Nuri and her son Rocco and eventually the police begin to suspect that this is actually she's the first one isn't she yes. to say yeah. I think this might be racially motivated yep. Yep. by yep. neo-Nazis mm-hmm. yeah because they think it might be Turkish uh, mafia or Albanian they're yeah. constantly trying to um, blame the other instead of looking at German which is or, really yeah. important yeah. I think you're really right important. yeah it's yeah, they're really quick to jump, and you again, you see it on Kruger's face when they when they bring that up. She's mm-hmm. just they bring it up the the day of her husband's death, and she is mortified that they'd even bother doing that. Yeah, yeah. you're yeah. absolutely right. Um, but yeah, Karen, what you're saying. So the court case is then right. Yeah, they so, capture they they arrest two people, uh, a, a couple, husband and wife, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, who have neo-Nazi ties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the uh, I think that the film doesn't really judge her choices on how to grieve. And I think because of that, we see a really ugly side of her. One of like quite a lot of hatred in her. Well, I think there's a trope in some uh, cinema that if a mother loses her child, she basically can act however she wants. I, yeah. d- I was watching Three Colours Blue again mm-hmm. and, um, you know, Juliette Binoche becomes really rude and angry, but it's justified. I, it's almost like... You know, when women lose their potential as mothers, that their their behaviour is allowed to be whatever it, it wants. Yeah, I think yeah, but that's that that's a, Three Colours Blue is a really interesting comparison because that's a film that is about uh, liberty. Obviously, the blue part of the flag is liberty, and the liberty that they look at in that film is uh, freedom from family, um, freedom from responsibility. Yeah. Um, and obviously, she goes down a really interesting path in regards to that yeah and and we end up with in this film we end up with a completely kind of different path i think uh, did you feel the same way about the kind of comparison between those two characters yeah i mean um juliette binoche didn't have to i can't remember what her character's name is but mm-hmm. we'll just go with that um she isn't seeking justice she's just trying trying to grieve and move on mm-hmm. uh whereas kruger obviously has a quest to uh, yeah, a vengeful quest, I guess. But it's it's difficult. I think this the reason I said I'm not sure why, and it, it's 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 judgmental of me, and I think it's mm-hmm. something that the film does well to not judge. But um, I look at it and I think like I feel bad that she's being consumed by all this kind of like hatred for these people. Um, it feels right, but it also kind of is ugly to watch. I think I didn't feel that at all. Mm. I was I liked the fact that she was um, able to be as angry as she wanted, like. Um, she uses a particular term in in one of the uh, scenes to call it the suspect, um, and I, you don't hear women use that word a lot mm-hmm. on film. So I I don't know I read it. and also she um, towards the end of the film I'm not going to talk about it too much but she has to suppress her fear and she sort of plays a dangerous game at the end and you see her push back push against her fear and become fearless and. She's very determined. I don't know. I I really. You think it's a, you think that it's a strength more than a weakness then to have this kind of. I um, think it's relatable. I think I think mm. you're asking too much of her. To yeah. No, I like. think so too. No, no, that's what I'm saying. I think the film doesn't ask too much of her, and I think that's why it's kind of successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas as an audience, I'm so used to seeing people like, like, uh, you know, strong characters do the right thing and I'm not sure she always does the right thing in this film and that's and the film's like that's okay no yeah I think the uh, film's looking at morality and there are you know no one's perfect and mm-hmm. I, I think often women are asked to be 
do the right thing and do the moral yes. thing. So uh, no, I think you're yeah. right, and and that's what kind of surprised me and what I liked about the the, the progress of the film as it went along. Mm. Yeah, um, but um, I think the most I think the bit that the bit that really got me on board with her as well is the kind of super super heartbreaking scene of that. It's a really fast like kind of cut to her in her uh, her child's. Her, her dead child's um, bed, mm. sleeping yeah. in the bed, and uh, you know her just absolutely like letting her emotions pour out of her. Yeah, I thought um, that was a really relatable scene to group. Mm. I mean, obviously, I've not lost a child or a partner, but um, to me, that was really relatable. And how they actually did—he did this sort of in the edge of heaven. Um, I don't want to give his previous. Is this his previous? Yeah, one of his previous, one of his previous, previous films. Um, a mother loses her child, and there's a scene in that where she's in bed crying and. Uh, time passes sort of the day passes mm -hmm. and I think um, it reflects how even though days pass grief is always still there and yeah yeah absolutely I think he he yeah he portrays grief really well on screen mm -hmm. no I agree so let's talk a bit more about the kind of the antagonist of the film then the sort of the neo-nazi couple um, is it the the Mullers the Mullers mm. the Mullers yeah. the Mullers yeah. Uh, what did you think of them as characters? What did you think of their introduction? How they were portrayed in the film? They don't really get any depth to them. Uh, no one's really explored. Uh, no character's really explored yeah. as deeply as Diane Kruger's character. Um, mm. And maybe he, he was making a point where we should be looking at the victims rather than focusing yeah, on the definitely. psyche of murderers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. They're, uh, they are kind of faceless. There's that one shot in the courtroom that's kind of just a still, uh, two still shots of them, like face on, mm. uh, where they're kind of just staring into the camera almost. Yeah, very vacant. Yeah, very vacant. Like, yeah, and there's zero character there. Mm. And you, I think it's almost scary because of that, because you're looking at these people and you do not know their motivations. You get to know their father more than you get to know them. Which I, I love him. <laughs> I love him so much. Yeah, he was he was good. Yeah. Um, a, that's a great like actor moment, isn't it? His, yes. like, his scene. Yeah. Between yes, uh, him and Diane Kruger's character, especially their eye contact and... Oh, I, yeah, that was well, probably my favourite scene of the film. Where he has to basically, like, apologise When they're for having his... a cigarette outside oh, after. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. Um, I think it's... As the film goes on, um, I'm, I've not seen many of Fatih Akin's films before, mm -hmm. uh, but as the film goes on, you do realise that he has quite the eye for an actor, I think. Mm. Um, like, he knows the look of an actor he wants to cast, and I think that comes across in The Husband's... Uh, the casting of the husband and the casting of the uh, very evil uh, defense attorney. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> but I also think he manages to get like drag performances out of these guys as well. And I think the the father, even though it's such a small part, um, the father of the accused is uh, is so so good. Yeah, yeah, and the um, prosecution attorney as well. So that's uh, Denny Mashito. Mm -hmm. uh, incredible. Incredible performance. Yeah. In one speech. Here's a speech. <laughs> His speech gets an applause, <laughs> and I, that that was al almost comedic. It wasn't, but it almost could have been. Yeah, yeah it could have been over the top. Mm. Oh, if it was like maybe the um the the extras weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 like yeah. No, that sounds about right. Um, but no, that's the, the his the dialogue uh, that he is given to work with in that moment. Yeah, and the way he builds his the the speech um, that he has and kind of. At the end, it feels it, the, the the first portion of the speech feels very rehearsed, but at the end, he kind of just explodes into this. Uh, what does he say? He says, and I'm quite honestly um, 
angry that I have to play this game. Oh, yeah. The defense, the defense game. Yeah, yeah, the defense's game. And um, it really drives the point home for me. But they beautifully spar off each other, like those, the defense lawyer and the prosecution lawyer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So key in a courtroom drama as well, right? Yeah. Like you, they must have had a lot of, you feel like they yeah. must have uh, had a lot of rehearsal because they had very, very good mm. chemistry. And you want to feel that in a courtroom drama. You want to feel like these guys hate each other. Yeah. Not just their, you know, ideals, but each other. Well, it finally got a bit theatrical. theatrical. Like, up until that point, you know, they had a forensic scientist stuff just rolling, reeling things off. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I also like the casting of the defense attorney versus the casting of the prosecution attorney. <laughs> so, uh, um, Daniel Fava, who is uh, Denny Mishita's character, He's very handsome, very mm. well put together, trimmed beard, good-looking guy, very sympathetic, very nice. Talks about taking driving his kid to kindergarten. Yeah. And the uh, <laughs> the defense attorney is this like bald, weathered face of Ed Harris's <laughs> creepy cousin, or <laughs> with like a, with a sort of scar on his face. It's it's a little bit on the nose. It is. Yes. It is. Uh, I get it, and it does work because I think you're right. Um, Fatiakin knows what he's doing with actors mm-hmm. and staging and blocking well enough and the dialogue works really well and how those those courtrooms play out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like it's stagey at all, as we said earlier, but a different director may have mishandled those sort of opposition oppositional characters. Yeah, I think so. I I, think... And even even the um the neo Nazi couple, um, they're a little bit they look there's something quite Aryan about them. Yeah, no, they're which is literally. Yeah. I mean, that has to be. I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it's kind of it works, but yeah, it's a little yeah. bit. Like, yeah. Um, and and as a, as a, just as a as one last thing about this about the courtroom scene, I think one of the things it does so well is um, as as it goes on, and as you know, this awful um, defense attorney yeah. is like kind of getting the upper hand a little bit, and then dropping He's back down, and it's tying like, Dan Kruger to a railroad, yeah. and 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 you start to realize that this case which seemed so cut and dry is not the the fact that we have to sit through this process with her yeah is so it, it i think it you need this in order for the last portion of the film to become effective in any way whatsoever yeah mm-hmm. you know like it you need to feel her frustration and her anger that this is the bureaucracy the, the just the bureaucracy crashing up against her grief yeah. must be so frustrating for her it's yeah it's painful to be with her in those scenes yeah, absolutely. and uh, you spoke about it earlier with the uh, forensic scientist when they come in and have to go through, uh, was it? It was. It was. But was. It's fine. Uh, sorry, Men Amy. getting the credit for women's work. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, what you were saying about what the forensic scientist said, where she has to go through these cold, cold detail about exactly what happened. The sort of, the, I guess, the process of how her son died. Yeah, that's pretty painful. And um, what she said, what happened to his abdomen? What happened to his arms? What happened mm. to his eyeballs? And she has to just sit behind there, and and she and she can't take it. And uh, it's almost a relief when she gets up and goes. She thinks, oh, thank God, we don't have to hear any more about it either. Yeah. But, but that's the a really good thing the film does. It really fuses you with uh, Katia. And you f- every emotion she feels, you feel. Uh, as well, Stephen, you mentioned that she's in every scene. Mm-hmm. And that works as well. You don't know anything that she doesn't know. You pretty much know everything going through her head at every moment, apart from maybe the third the third part. Yes. Where you're left a little bit in the dark mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with what her, motive, what, what her motives are. Mm-hmm. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Um, I also want it's interesting the the film's use of the neo-nazis is interesting because I think like films maybe 10 20 years ago had a tendency to sort of use nazis and like, people that had that belief as these kind of mythical it glamorized it glamorized it yeah. also they're they're mythic they're yeah. they're, they're, in they're the not past, they're yeah. in the past they're not real like in like the Indiana Jones films I see or, what you're saying even in something like Inglorious Bastards, it's very much like, oh, these guys aren't here anymore. Mm-hmm. We beat them. They're mm-hmm. over. They're done. Yeah. And this film very much shows them as a kind of, as much as I think their casting is a little bit uh, ham-fisted at times when they are these sort of Aryan-looking couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting, Kruger is also Aryan-looking. That's true. So. That's very true, yeah. But, yeah. They're, but they are, they're seen as this more of a, a problem, deep, more deeply rooted when they bring in uh, people from like their their network, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. and you realise that this isn't just a crazy duo. This is actually a deeply rooted problem within Germany, within Europe, mm. within the world at the moment. I mean, look at what happened in Charlottesville. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is actually a bigger thing than we realised, especially in the past year. And I think this film, when it came out at Cannes last year, must have still felt a little bit felt quite you know, f- so relevant to that year and also relevant to this year when it's coming out in a wide release now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, no, I think I think that the... Uh, I think at some point in the film, Diane Kruger actually says she was white European, like, just like me. Yeah, no, she says um, she's just as German as I am. Just as German as I am. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's what... That's a good, uh, good line. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what Aiken wanted to get across, is, like, that for all of the kind of hand-wringing and, um, and fears about kind of... Uh, external terrorism at mm. the moment this idea of like an internal terrorism coming from your own country is just as terrifying and when she says that you get this idea you, or you get this this bigger picture of mm. this isn't about um race or culture this is a kind of bigger picture of violence in the world at the moment um, yeah. and and people acting out acts of violence mm. that are destroying lives and her life is the one we get to see in this picture but there's so many so many more than that yeah yeah, and also it's interesting that even though um, Diane Kruger's character witnesses the suspect near the terrorist attack and gives a um, description of her as a white woman, um, that the police or the media li- think that they're looking for an Eastern European girl rather yeah. than it's admitting really, yeah. that it's yeah. German. They do everything they can to avoid the fact that it might yeah. be a German uh, homegrown that's done this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's uh, tentatively talk about the third part mm-hmm. uh, which is very ambiguously titled The Sea mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. give anything away 
Um, and this is the smallest part of the film. I think it's about all in all. 15 minutes or so 25 20, is it 25 it's minutes 25 minutes wow, do you have, you have the breakdown <laughs> no, of the parts Amy <laughs> I was watching it late last night and I was right. like okay I've got 25 minutes <laughs> yeah. when that chapter heading came this was up, my yeah. second viewing I wasn't trying to okay. get through yeah, it yeah, you yeah. know yeah, just yeah, for yeah. the listeners <laughs> yeah I wasn't looking at my clock the whole time okay I think it feels short because quite a lot happens yeah compared to the rest of the film I, lo- I love films the that pace picks up yeah, in the yeah. final chapter. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's probably why it seems so quick, right? Yeah. Um, but you're also you're also right about um, Diane Kruger's character. In that point, we become less attached to her. Um, all of a sudden, she seems more detached, and her decisions aren't quite as clear. Um, and we're unsure of what mo- what's motivated her to go and, I guess, get her revenge. On yeah, these people. in the final part, I feel like there's a sense of calmness that almost takes over. She's not really crying anymore yeah yeah we're a bit yeah. more detached from her um and i think the weather like <laughs> i was thinking about throughout the whole film the weather kind of reflects her stage of grief a bit of pathetic be- fallacy exactly yeah. yeah the rain at the beginning i feel like is a it's almost mm. another character guys mm. i think that, actually <laughs> I, I did that shot of her not not to move away from the final part but there is that shot of her at the beginning when she's walking in the rain the one that they use for the poster oh yeah yes that and the music up. and yeah, the slow mo so, so good like some sort of so neon yeah. lights and yes very so stylish yeah. like yeah. and uh yeah, yeah. Uh, really impressive there are there are quite a few like really interesting like impressive shots that Aiken does in this movie that are like that that kind of take you take you back a little yeah. bit yeah so he's yeah. a really really good visual director i think yeah, and it's not the kind of, because for most of the films set in a courtroom, you don't expect it to be this visual. Mm, mm, precisely. Yeah. Um, but but going back to that, going back to the the final uh, portion of the film, um, I think that there is a moment um, within that kind of final twenty five minutes where she gets a call from the um, the lawyer, the lawyer, yeah. the prosecution, um, and uh, I think that was my favorite part of the film. That conversation that they had, where she has to kind of. Uh, satiate him a little bit I guess um, and tell him what he wants to hear in order to to do what she needs to do. Did you suspect the end, I'm not going to talk about the what actually happened but did you suspect from that phone call what was going to happen next or? Yeah, I, did, I didn't. No, I was me still, either. I was still ambiguous about it <laughs> yeah. but Sam you, you nailed thought it. you, yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, no I kind of thought mm, alright yeah, because the way the, her acting is great in that scene, mm-hmm. and I suddenly did think the way she's saying it, it hasn't isn't the way she said anything else in the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, clearly. Wow, we're being very mysterious and ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah. I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, where do we where do we sit on the ending and her what she's doing in this last scene? Because I'm I'm kind of on two minds about it. I think I, I mean I'm I, you've heard the thing with the thing with revenge films is. <laughs> the thing with the revenge films is that they always tend to have the same uh, kind of message, in yeah. them, which is revenge is bad. Like, don't become the person that you despise. Revenge will corrupt you. Um, and I think what this film does that's very interesting is that it breaks her down so much to the point where she doesn't even seem like she is kind of salvageable. And well, she's lost her whole life. Yeah. Like, yeah. even, she doesn't even have a job outside her family. Like, mm. she, her role was as a mother and the bookkeeper for her husband. She doesn't seem to have many friends. It's like her sister and her son and her father. Like, mm-hmm. t- her life is over, yeah. really. Yeah. But she kind of, um, 
the the revenge that she wants doesn't feel like revenge to me. It feels like the final kind of um, act of a of a broken person. You know, um, I I didn't feel any relief by the end of the film. I have to say, I don't I didn't I don't feel like it's a cathartic film. I feel like it's a very very sad film, but one that is really important. I mean, um, where do you stand on the on I, the on the final act and also on that that last few seconds of the film? I thought it was provocative. I still don't really know how I feel about it. Um, yeah. Because there's there's a section before that in the last bit where she um, she changes her mind about what she's going to yeah. do, um, which I thought was quite an interesting scene, but can't really talk about it. Um, <laughs> her her decision at the end, I think, was re- I, I could see exactly why she would do that. What she did. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Agree. Yeah. The film sets it up so you're not you're not questioning it. I think. Yeah. I think that yeah, it's. It's that's why I think it's so impactful because you kind of you're with her at that point, you know, and um, it's yeah, it's hard. It's hard to watch. It's really hard to watch. Yeah, we've we've spoken quite a bit about revenge films, haven't we? We have. Yeah. And um, I'm I I quite I like them, especially when I mean I love Blue Ruin. I know you're not a fan of Blue Ruin, mm-hmm. but I love Blue Ruin. I think Blue Ruin's a really great example of what a revenge film can be and do. But then I also love uh, John Wick, which is a revenge film that doesn't doesn't ask any questions about should he be doing this, <laughs> and, and, and also is you know it's, yeah it's, it's about a dog like yeah it's, it, it's not it's not the same level at all yeah but there's just that idea of like I think yeah you're right revenge films feel like they have to contextualize revenge and have to ask these questions rather than just letting their characters get away with mm-hmm. it and it sends to, a bad message and have to be cathartic yeah like they they that's what they exist for they exist for as a as a stand-in for audience catharsis and I think that in the fade is not willing to give you that catharsis yeah I think it wants you to it like it has with Amy and in in a lot of ways like it has with me it leaves you kind of unsure how you feel mm. um, it's definitely not a uh, like a meh ending it's definitely an ending that you're it, it's, it's a big, great ending, a you know, a loud exclamation mark to the mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. Um, and it allows you to rethink the whole, the past hour and a half or whatever yeah. in a different light. Yeah. And it, that's what a good ending should do. I'm just not sure about how I feel about the ending. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm glad that's happened to that character, or if um, if yeah, you maybe it is a very just a very sad, depressing ending. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm or not maybe sure she finds relief. I'd... Yeah, maybe it's maybe at that point it's not about us because we've been slightly unfused from the character at this point. Maybe this is now we have to let her go in a way, and let I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's quite a visually beautiful scene, uh, uh, like from where it goes. To the the sky. Oh, <laughs> the I, l- I loved that with Licky yeah. Lee's song. Yes, at the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really beautiful. No, that was a really nice like. Final, and the juxtaposition of shot with the camera because up that upside yeah. down, doesn't it? Kind yeah. of mm. the, the sea. Yeah. Like, what was the juxtaposition there? Amy, Actually, I can I can't say because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Amy, so you've told me off mic that this is in your top five films of the yeah. year. Do you want to summarise why this is in your top five of the um, year? I think the cinematography is beautiful. I uh, liked that it had a courtroom drama in the middle and then it had this like suspenseful act at the end. Uh, amazing, incredible performance by Diane Kruger. Like She really grips you and she has gravitas and like watching her perform it with 
all the subtle subtlety is quite exciting for mm. me. I don't know. I get a thrill I, watching I, actors do great performances. Yeah, so. especially actors who have been kind of on the sidelines for a little bit. Yeah. Like, not, not that she hasn't been working, but actors who don't get m- maybe as much praise mm. or roles like this to come in kind of like in the midst of her career or yeah. in the like middle, late stage of her career and just kill it. Yeah. Um, is really, really impressive. Also, one final thing, I thought the music was great, and it, he does this thing with slow motion and yeah. the music, and the music kind of reminded me of the music in You Were Never Really Here. The music is by... Um, Josh Holm. Josh Holm from... Queens of the Stone Age. Who have yeah. a song called... Don't in know. the Fade. <laughs> so that okay. was going to be my final question. Like oh. That's why this film's called In the Fade. I guess so. It's the Josh yeah. Holm link. Right? Yeah. yeah. Ah, great. Weird title. Yeah, I like good, it. though. I like it. Yeah, I'm glad like, no one says it. <laughs> like, you can imagine like you're in the fade now kid or something like that now we're really in the fade yeah I mean yeah I, I quite like it when the movie titles are said in the movie so I've got to disagree with you there. I don't yeah. think this would have worked that wouldn't have worked film. we could have made it work uh, so in the fade is uh, out in cinemas this Friday and is also available on Curzon Home Cinema also being added to Curzon Home Cinema this week we have Loveless which uh, amazing film! Amazing film, yeah, which incredible. we spoke about on the podcast a few months ago now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as well as I Tonya is going to be added to Cousin Home Cinema too. Very fun movie. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And Alison Jenny won Best Supporting Actress. She's great. And very quickly, then we have a tweet to read out. So last week uh, we reviewed Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Uh, do go back and listen to that, as it's a film that people are still talking about, and we'll be talking about for over. I think for the months to come still, I think. Decades to Decades come. Decades to come. Uh, Stephen, you spoke to writer-director Ari Aster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great interview, so do check it out. Uh, this is from at FilmFanStevie. It's not me. It's not you. No. Love the film Hereditary. Seen it twice now. Tony Collette is phenomenal in the film, but it's not a scary film. It's definitely a film that will have you on the edge of your seat, but shouldn't be called This Generation's The Exorcist. As a horror fan, I think it's a cheap way to sell tickets. Uh, talking to other horror fans last year, it's definitely splitting fans down the middle of love and hate. Hereditary is what I call a Marmite film, but all agree it's an incredibly tense film, but not really scary. Uh, what do you think? Do you think it's scary? Yeah, I do. I don't, yeah. I don't know where this is coming from. Like, I don't. I, I've, I've, I've been. Obviously, we work at a cinema, mm. um, and I've been, I've been really interested in kind of the audience reaction coming out of it. Yeah. A lot of people are coming out with like this look of, of cold, dead terror on their faces, but then half, a lot of other people are coming out and they're exclaiming. Oh, wasn't that scary? Yeah, like they've like they've been through a challenge, like a theme park ride. Um, and I I I, did, I think it's it's a shame that the film decided to market themselves that way. Yeah, you know, uh, I've seen it twice now as well, and uh, I'm a horror fan. I like to think I'm pretty hardened to horror, mm-hmm. and I think it's scary. Yep, I was scared the second time. Yep. yep, I think it's really scary. It's that first um the bit that gets me is that first in the car. Yeah gets me every time it's horrible yeah yeah have you seen it yet i Amy? haven't will I'm you be seeing it yeah definitely yeah just you know been watching in the fade a lot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> amy's top five films are all in the fade <laughs> yeah. no it's all we're seeing um yeah i'd be interested to did see you guys see scared. mcqueen can we just talk yeah, about random McQueen. stuff <laughs> mcqueen's great yeah. yeah well it didn't make me cry though a lot of people said okay. that it did but um, it didn't make you people cry. should go see that you know Instead of Hereditary. No, or but both. just as well. Yeah, just yeah, well. yeah. Double yeah. bill of McQueen and Hereditary, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, or Solo. No one's seeing Solo. Come on, <laughs> give Solo a chance. <laughs> give that? Solo a chance. Come on, guys. Disney. <laughs> right. Um, so if you enjoy the show, uh, subscribe, leave a review and a comment. It means a lot to us. Uh, we're available every week on iTunes and Acast. You can follow me on Twitter at Sam Howlett underscore one. You can follow Stephen on Twitter at... 
Irma underscore pet. Yeah, you uh, what does that mean? You knew. I only made it to, to to discuss Twin Peaks when Twin Peaks was going <laughs> right. on. But I guess I'll get back on now. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and Amy, you are on Twitter at Amy Violet Watts. That's the best one. See, yeah, we've got underscores name. and yeah. numbers. It's yeah, a great name, isn't it? What are your Violet? Yeah, that's lovely. I know. That's the, the Incredibles the only two nice coming out soon as well. Is. Someone in this room has already seen it. Yeah, oh. yeah. yeah. Talk pretty, about that soon on the. Good. Well, you crush on one of the Incredibles, don't you, Stephen? Shutting this down. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.